This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're here together to be a community of faith and to be a voice for Christ. So people of God, let's share our voice together as we do our call to worship. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. O come, all who are just and faithful, let us adore him, Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace, Savior of the world. Every week, as we worship together, we have the opportunity to admit to ourselves, to each other, and to God that we do not always live as we are called to live. As sinful creatures, flawed creatures, we are accustomed to needing forgiveness. From time to time, we fail our spouses, we fail our children, we fail at work, we fail our neighbors, ultimately, we fail God. In this time of confession, let us open our hearts and remember that God is merciful and just, eager to offer grace and love. So let us pray together the prayer of confession printed in the bulletin. Lord of all people, the rich, the poor, the arrogant, the humble, the beautiful, the scarred, 
We come to you raw and in need of your word of forgiveness. We have failed to bend to your will that we would protect and provide for our hurting neighbor. We have projected an image of goodness and kindness in the public eye, and yet we harbor opinions that malign, judge, and dismiss. We even tried to hide from you, dear Savior. Forgive us when we complain that you ask too much. Forgive us when we are willing to compromise, slide, and grasp when it suits our needs. These are unworthy of your saving action, and we are sorry. Amen. Friends, now hear the good news of what our God, in his grace, has done for us. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God will never leave or forsake us. For in Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we are forgiven and made right with God and one another. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, urges the young Christians to depend upon God for protection. In doing so, he says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the peace, joy, and love that we summon as we greet one another this morning. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. So before we get with the hugging and the shaking, let me remind our children, fifth graders and younger, that they may now meet their teachers, their Sunday school teachers, at the back of the sanctuary. Older youth, sixth grade and up, are gathering in the youth room. Now, if that's you, go join them. Now it's time to do the hugging and shaking. It is really a joy to greet each other and to be together in this environment, in this worship space. So I'm glad that we are all together. I want to welcome our guest organist today, Amber Dahlberg. Welcome, Amber. We're glad to have you with us. And we're also pleased to welcome a very special couple back among us and bringing us the gift of music today, Ellie Roseberry and Aaron Bullard. Yay! Yeah, I told Jack we have the A-team up today. So uh, the choir and Pastor Jack are, are, are on their way home from their choir tour. So some of them will be arriving tomorrow, some of them Tuesday. And then Tuesday, I'm going on vacation. So 
uh, it'll be wonderful. And we're, but we are, our prayer and our blessings go with all of those who are traveling home from that wonderful choir tour with us. And we're glad that they had a good time and, and hope that they come home safely. There are many opportunities to make connections and support the work that we do together in the name of Christ and have some fun as well. And that's in our time for news and notes. We want to remind you that there are some things that are happening. If you want details of everything that's happening, then I would encourage you to go on our website, www.villagechurch.org and check it out. But I just want to lift up two things for you today. Next Sunday, June 11th, Jack will introduce a very special mission partner joining us for the Moment for Mission. This is Ray Heinen from SAT7, and he will share with us about their work to provide the people of the Middle East and North Africa an opportunity to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. So it should be very uh, compelling, and I hope that you'll keep that in mind. And then June 19th through 23rd, those dates should be indelibly printed into your mind because those are the dates of our Vacation Bible School. And this year, our Vacation Bible School is going to be a lot of fun. And listen, I want to give you two facts. One, it's full. We have as many kids as we can take. Two, we don't have enough people to work with those kids. So we need you. So if you have a few hours to spare during that week, come and serve serve punch with us and cookies and listen to great skits and be a part of this wonderful enterprise that we have. I know that we can do this. So let's pull together and if, and if you're willing to share, contact Michelle Ewan or you can call the church office. I won't be here, I'll be on vacation. But, uh, and let us know that you're willing to come and work that week, that would be great. So we now have an opportunity to express our gratitude to God and our, her, our hope to serve body and soul and all of our resources in sharing as we come to a time of presenting our gifts and tithes and offerings as the baskets are passed.
Please be seated. Now we come to the time in the service when we raise up the prayers of our people for all the peoples of the world. As we near our time, at the end of our time in prayer, we'll pause for a moment of silent personal reflection, a time for each of us individually in his own heart to speak with God. Then we'll join together and say the Lord's Prayer. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty and most merciful God, we come to you today in humble gratitude and praise for your generous gifts of love and abiding grace freely given to all your people. We are a fortunate people, Lord, mindful of our abundant blessings in this small slice of a complex, complicated world. Even as we consider our blessings, Lord, we pray for all your children, all our neighbors, near and far. We lift up the peoples of Ukraine and Sudan, suffering the ravages of war. We pray for the victims of senseless hatred and violence and repression here and throughout our world. We pray for mercy and healing for those among us afflicted with sickness, sadness, pain, doubt, and fear. We pray for those who are hungry, those who are homeless, and those who are without hope. We pray that you would be with all these your people, Lord, in their time of need. We pray that you would comfort them in their sorrow and give them hope in their time of despair. 
And we pray that you would inspire and empower us to know and to do what is right. To be your hands and feet in this world, Lord, to love and to help provide for the needs of our brothers. In our anxious time of divided nation and polarized communities, we pray for your patience, guidance, and strength, Lord, as we endeavor to create a more just and equitable world. We pray for those who are oppressed and marginalized, and we ask that you would help us to stand up for their rights and to work for their liberation. We pray for those who are struggling to forgive those who have wronged them, and we ask that you would give them the grace to do so. We pray for our world, our nation, and our leaders, for our communities, and for our church family. And we ask that you will help us to build bridges of love and understanding across our differences. We pray for your peace to reign in our hearts, and in our world. We lift up Pastor Jan and our worship leaders that their words might inspire and motivate us this morning. We ask your travel blessings on Pastor Jack, Juan Carlos, and the chancel choir as they return from their music ministry in Ireland. Lord, we each come to you this morning with our own personal thoughts of thanks and praise cares, burdens, and concerns. We know you hear our prayers and bless us out of your everlasting love, manifold grace, and abiding faithfulness. So now in a moment of communal silence, we offer our own personal prayers and petitions to you. And now, Lord, in one voice, we offer the prayer that you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and evermore. Amen.
estranged by much I've done and seen, afraid to show the love I mean, unfit to follow Jesus. Yet God who knows me first and last, who sees A reading from the book of Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy. Do not oppose the widow, the orphan, the alien or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Now a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. This is the word of the Lord.
Early in my career in ministry, I spent three years as a chaplain at a mental institution in Los Angeles. We had four units. We had an open unit. We had a substance abuse unit, adolescent unit, and a locked unit. And I can tell you what a ride those three years were. I have often joked that it was by far the best preparation for working in the church. But in, in all seriousness, it wasn't so much the work I did for the people under our care, but the work that the sharing of their stories did in me that made all the difference. I learned so much about the human condition, not just to how bad it can get or anything like that, but just so much tragedy and brokenness. And how can all of that be? And yet, oddly enough, a lot of laughter a lot of tears together, and a lot of redemption. So, but I want you to understand something about the story I'm about to tell you. I want you to understand that when I share this experience, I am well aware that many people suffer with a mental illness or a disorder that creates a completely different state of reality and makes them incapable of rational thinking or reasoning. And this is not the population that I'm referring to. But we had these units called open units. And among those in the open units, there was a particular behavior that was so consistently reoccurring that it became the topic of the gallows humor that was shared among the staff and the therapists. But I can honestly tell you that observing that behavior provided an insight into human nature and human behavior that has been an extremely valuable tool for me in ministry and also an extremely valuable tool as, even as I approach scripture. And this is the behavior. Quite often, a day or so after someone new had been admitted to one of the units, the grumbling would begin in the groups or at mealtimes or in the hallway as they pass each other. The food is too salty. There isn't enough fruit in the diet. Why can't we have waffles instead of pancakes? The med nurses are too bossy. How come we have to go to bed at 10 o'clock? And we could, as a staff, feel the collective energy shifting towards mutiny. And very predictably, we found that the instigator, the one drawing up the negotiation proposals for our surrender, and sowing a flag of dissidence that everyone could rally around was the new patient. When a new patient arrived, one of the things I tried to do was I tried to meet them before I read about them because I wanted to hear from their point of view how they saw themselves and how they saw their own circumstances and why they found themselves in the place that they were. But after I had had that initial couple of meetings I, and get a flavor of that, I would try to familiarize myself with their history and the documented why of why they were with us at that point. I would talk with the nurses and with the therapists, read their chart, see what the presenting issues were, the family system, the behavior system, all the diagnosis, the therapies, the drugs, what, whatever it was, any fuller picture I could get of that person in order to engage them in my work. Sometimes the history of the person so outraged by pancakes 
instead of waffles would include chronic alcoholism or substance abuse or deviant behavior or defiant behavior or reckless behavior. And sometimes, sometimes there would be cases of people who were ranting and raving about gravy on their mashed potatoes who had burned their house down with their family in it. Their spouse and children barely able to escape and sometimes not or something else equally horrific. And I began to ask myself this question, why would a person who was so suffering and so broken and whose life was so messed up, or one who had done such unspeakable things, why would people who needed all of their energy and all of their attention to focus on working out the big stuff, why would they bleed so much energy into leading the charge over the little stuff? Maybe it was because it's sometimes unbearable to look into a mirror. Sometimes it's unbearable to look into a mirror to confront the truth about yourself, what you've done, what you think, and who you are. Denial is a very, very, um, a very, very important strategy, coping mechanism, but it can also be an extremely weighty barrier to healing. Or maybe you're, because your heart and mind has been so creased by hardship and trauma that you just can't iron it out. So you deflect and you hide from yourself. Or, or maybe it's because you don't want the people around you to get up too close to look at you because they're going to see all the cracks. They're going to see all the, the sharp edges. They're going to maybe see the truth about you. So we distract and we obfuscate. Or maybe we so desperately want to believe that we're in control of our lives that when we find our lives spinning out of control, we hijack the minutia for a distraction and we apply a laser focus on the petty issues. Or maybe it's just too hard to confront the truth that something has to change and you grow suspicious that it might be you. In our text today, we have religious leaders who were operating out of an environment of trauma and compromise and self-preservation. They used the same method, at least, at least from my observation, they were using the same method that those new patients in the psychiatric hospital used to avoid the truth of who they had become, what they were doing, and believing their own distortions of the truth, and avoiding the hard work of getting back to, getting back to the main road, of finding their way back. But they weren't just a product of that distraction. They had learned to survive the occupation by the Romans and retain their leadership status by distracting the people that they served with the small stuff of their faith, the, the tiny infractions of the 633 laws, the daily missteps, the ritual breaking by keeping the poor and illiterate and superstitious, poor and illiterate and superstitious. They no longer controlled the power, you see. The Romans controlled them. And for their cooperation, their oppressors made it possible for them to retain their status and their material wealth 
and their control over the people. The Romans took great pride in recruiting collaborators among the religious leaders. Many were paid very well for keeping the rabble quiet, for squelching any protests among the people, or for fingering any dissident voices, pointing them out. And even Jesus himself was on the receiving end of this arrangement. These once good men deflected, projected, compromised, and led with self-righteous and self-serving attention to the minutia lettering of the law. They ignored and neglected to share the heart of the law, which was the love of God for the people. And in the text today, Jesus calls them out for it. Jesus calls out the Pharisees for being so observant of the tithing law that they were even tithing herbs and spices from the garden. Tithing mint and dill and cumin. And yet, they were ignoring the biblical mandate and weightier spiritual issues of justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, whenever you're tempted to get this image of Jesus, and I think we are quite sometimes, uh, I think it's easy to do sometimes. We see Jesus just so far away from us, so different from us. But the fact of the matter is, God came to us in Jesus so Jesus could be close to us. So Jesus would be one of us and walk among us. But sometimes we get this image of Jesus as walking a little bit above ground, never feet touching the ground, never really understanding what was going on. Sometimes we have this picture of a Zen Jesus kind of laid back and not getting into the fray. But if you're ever tempted to do that, I think it's helpful to read this text and read the six woes that we didn't read, all from Jesus. It really is clearer that Jesus is not above cursing a blue streak when he calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites and snakes and brooding vipers. In true prophetic tradition, this son of David, this Lord of David, this Messiah, is on a rant. Not just for the Pharisees per se, but for all of those, and there were many in those times who were standing between people becoming a Christian, who, didn't, who were trying to divert them into being something else. The opponents of Christianity in this particular text is represented by the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, what happened was, Jesus, in this text, and in many others you can see, Jesus bursts into that dark, treasonous room of their complicity, and he shines a light and he holds up a mirror for them to see themselves. And the charge of hypocrisy was about being inconsistent in one's faith and actions and putting too much emphasis on looking faithful and not enough, not enough emphasis on being faithful. The charge of hypocrisy was about putting your own best interest first for all the talk we have of being caring and compassionate and, and their talk of, of being servants of God, a sacrifice and honor. The charge of hypocrisy was putting up barriers for people to join the family instead of rolling out the red carpet and scooting over in the seat so there's plenty of room at the table. And Jesus calls them out on it. But we have to pause for a moment in this, in, in this moment. Lest we begin to condemn these religious leaders as being so very different from us. 
We have to stop and we have to think. Because it would be very easy, very easy to think of this, those bad people. How could they be so close to Jesus and not see Jesus? That would be very easy and convenient to do, to distance ourselves from their weaknesses. But we have to ask ourselves always, what does this scripture, in what way is God speaking to us through this text? You and me, today. We have to resist the urge to cover all the mirrors in our house and the mirrors in this house that would show us who we really are and what we're up to. Or as the theologian Jacqueline Lewis says, woe to those of us who split hairs, who major in minors, who sweat the small stuff. Because unless we can look deeply into our own selves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, unless we can open ourselves to the healing grace of God, remember the psalmist says, investigate my life, search my heart, oh God, see if there's anything there and please do away with it. Unless we can do that, unless we can stop focusing on the minutia, the trivial, the petty, and we, unless we can stop being fully focused on ourselves and throw the full weight of our concern and the full weight of our attention towards the concerns of Christ, which are the poor and the helpless and the weak and the peaceable kingdom and the forgiven world and a grace-filled existence. And unless we can trust that Christ stands with us and that the Holy Spirit is weaving the very tissue of our souls together in a brand new way with a fresh new spirit, unless we can do that, then we are that new patient complaining about waffles when the house is on fire. And unless we can do that, We are the Pharisees preaching about the tithe on spices while the world around us rise with poverty and violence and hopelessness. So we have to ask ourselves, what is distracting us today from the case of Christ? Not just individually, but as a whole body. What keeps us separated? What pulls us apart? What distracts our attention so that we don't have the time or the resource or the inclination to be the body of Christ with the message of hope in the world? Is it politics? Your side? My side? We can't agree, therefore we can't even speak to each other. We can't even sit across the table together. We can't even be in the same family. Is it preference? I'm not comfortable with them or it. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too loud, it's too controversial, it's too raw, it's too sad. Is it self? I want, I like, I think, I need, I believe. Is it fear? Life is so frightening, so scary. And we're given this voice of hope, and yet we are afraid. Everything is changing. What is to become of us? But whatever the reason, and there's a million more, whatever the reason that is distracting us, whatever it is, I guarantee you that if we focus on these distractions and bleed our energy into the petty, we become just like Peter, who got out of the boat and was actually walking on water towards Jesus, but took his eyes off of Jesus and started to sink and flounder and drown. Friends, 
Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus and the life that Jesus has called us to. Let the village church at Rancho Santa Fe come to the world bearing gifts, the same gifts that we have so lavishly been given, the gift of grace and forgiveness and love and compassion and caring, the gift of provision and time and talent. Let's bring it to the world. And today, let us come to this table, come to this banquet with humility and gratitude that the table has been set by the hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that the table is so long and so wide and there are so many seats that all are welcome who seek to belong to this table. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God and we shall come from the north and the south and the east and the west to sit at this table in the kingdom of God. We are here together to serve, to love, to give, and to be fed the living bread and the living water. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and pouring it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you for the remission of all sins. My friends, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the saving death of a risen Savior until he comes again, and he will. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. To remind you that as we begin to serve, to come down the middle aisle and around to the back so that we're not all running into each other. The gifts of God for the people of God. Will those who are serving please come forward?
Out of thanks for this feast, let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, our hearts are full of gratitude for the gift of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the great love you have shown us, even in the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, commemorated in our communal partaking of the bread and the cup. We know that we are unworthy of such a gift, Lord, but we receive it with great humility and joy. We pray that you will help us to grow in love for you and for our neighbor and to live our lives in accordance with your will. Amen. Beautiful people, this is a world of distractions and a time of distractions. 
We can be distracted 24 hours a day, seven days a week if we want to be. But listen, distraction can lead to loneliness. Distraction can lead to anger or bitterness. That kind of distraction can lead us down a road that we didn't see coming. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on this life of goodness and kindness and giving that God has called us into. And believe me, we can do wonderful things together. Bring your gifts. Let's bring them to the world together. And may the love of God and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and the indwelling intimate spirit be with you now and forever. All of God's people said together, Amen. Amen.